Hello and welcome in to the Bottom Shelf Leadership Podcast. I am Heath, uh, Lindsay Lane's East Campus Pastor, joined as always by Alan, uh, Lindsay Lane's North Campus Pastor, and Andy John, who is our lead pastor and teaching pastor here at the Athens campus, where we're recording right now in the wonderful podcast studio uh, that Andy John had put in after he got here. So we're thankful for the uh, Dusty Macklemore yeah. uh, podcasting recording studio. Yeah, AKA wherever we can find a table that'll hold four microphones. <laughs> yes. It's bigger than my office right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, yeah, just in Andy John's office. Uh, no, no real frills here, but man, uh, we're thankful to be able to come to you guys and just share some, some leadership. If this is your first time listening, uh, our, our goal in this podcast is to inter- interview uh, local leaders who are making big-time impact, and uh, we're just thankful uh, for the leaders that we get to interview and get to have conversations with. And so uh, today, we is like every other podcast, we have an awesome leader that we want to interview today. Andy John, tell us about our wonderful guest. Today, our local leader is none other than Judge Jerry Batts. Jerry is from the Ripley community out in Clements, a lifelong resident of Limestone County. He was a attorney judge and prosecutor over 26 years, serving as city attorney and city prosecutor here in Athens. He was municipal judge in Ardmore, and then he finished his career uh, 12 years as a district judge. He graduated high school at Clements, undergraduate at Auburn, and a law degree from the University of Alabama. That's sort of a conflict of interest. We can get into that a little bit. I can tell you on the front that <laughs> This man is an Auburn man through and through, even though his law degree is from uh, from the University of, of Alabama. He is a uh, he and his family members of uh, First Methodist here in Athens, and uh, his wife Marilyn. How long have y'all been married, Judge? Gosh, we married in nineteen seventy five. How many is that? Wow, <laughs> this is one of those edits. Yeah, that's right. Forty eight. Forty eight. Nineteen seventy five. 48. There you go. 48. 48. Thank you, our, our resident mathematician. There you go. 48 years to his wife, Marilyn. Uh, two daughters, Allison and Lauren. And Lauren and her husband, Will, have uh, provided one grandchild to Jerry and Marilyn and one on the way. Now, I say that. I don't know if that announcement's been made. It, it could be made here on the podcast for the first time. <laughs> but, um, Breaking news. That's right. Cue the but music. All in all, um, Jerry Bats is a friend of our family. He's a great neighbor, a godly man, and uh, the definition of a Southern gentleman. So, uh, Judge Bats, we are certainly glad to have you on this uh, podcast that tens and twenties of people will listen to in the near future. So, thanks for coming in. Well, Andy, John, I appreciate it. Uh, it's really delightful to be with you and Heath and Alan today know how we feel about you and your life and watch you grow up and all the great things you've done and stood for you're an inspiration I appreciate I love you love you too and we grateful to claim you as a member of our family Um, I'm honored to be here because I know some of the folks you've had and and one is Mayor Ronnie Marks. That's correct. First, the first guest on the show. I'm going to tell you, right. you had a good one because uh, Ronnie is a is truly a public servant and has done more for our community. He loves it. He works hard at it, and uh, I'm I'm just delighted to be able to uh, follow along where he's been and. Uh, Thank you for having me. Now, he's already got the job. Has he paid you to come on here? Well, and- <laughs> I, if Ronnie will listen to this, I expect that 
maybe he'll send me a check. <laughs> no doubt. All no better. doubt Mayor Marks is a regular <laughs> listener. That's right. Absolutely, no exactly. doubt. And I'll just say, what you say about Andy John, I found that out. Like, everybody knows Andy John and his family in Limestone uh, County. That's right. The first thing we did is plan a D-Now together, and I went shopping at Walmart with him. And I did every bit of shopping, and he did talking to every single person in that store. Uh, so, Well, we're, I appreciate that. We're, I mean, it's cool to serve where you grew up. Yeah. That's very cool. But the same thing happens when I go with these guys to their stomping grounds. Yep. You don't well, go five feet without them knowing the next person in line. I'd love to go back and listen how many of the guests we've had on this podcast, though, do have some sort of connection to Clements or Auburn University. <laughs> or I feel like uh, I feel like that's been, I don't know, I feel like there's been a few. That's uh, right. That's Ripley comes up somewhere in there. It's true. It's just a, a leadership uh, machine out there in Ripley. Well, well it's such a big here. place. It's such a big <laughs> place with a lot of a talent to pull from, you know. Right. You know, right. Heath, my granddaddy, used to say, I remember this as a young boy, he used to say, if you ever drink the water out of Papa Creek, you'll never leave. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a lot of truth to that, isn't it? Oh, oh, that's man. good. That's good. Well, uh, Mr. Jerry, you know, we talk a lot. This this podcast, we talked to you a little bit before, but this leadership podcast is is uh, really designed, the three of us go to a ton of leadership stuff, and we read leadership books, and if we're honest with each other, a lot of it we don't understand because a lot of them are written for people that are smarter than us. And so what we try to do on this podcast is talk about general leadership stuff, and we try to put it on the bottom shelf where everybody can get it, everybody uh, can learn and grow. And so we really just we just want to talk to you about what your leadership has looked like in your life. And um, I think the one thing that was interesting to me, especially because all three of us have done it as well, is a lot of young leaders find it easier <laughs> to – to start in leadership somewhere else, uh, it's harder for them uh, to to start at home and to actually come back and, and to kind of gain respect. And so as a guy who was born and raised here, now you went off to school, but as you, what, what led you to come back here and not just say, man, let me just start somewhere fresh where nobody knows me and I can just create a new leader in myself? What was it that brought you back here? Well, I think the... Obviously, the attraction was just where you grew up. Yeah. And uh, the people, the opportunities that were here, and um, we all make decisions about where we're going to be. And uh, I I was in different cities for a while, but, you know, I always had in the back of my mind I wanted to come home. And actually, Bruce Sherrill, who had a law firm here, offered me a job. And I said, yeah, that works. So I came, actually came here from Birmingham originally, but it's been good. It's been a real blessing, and uh, I can't say enough about the people that have been my friends and my family. Gee, I mean, I just couldn't repay them for all they've done for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was, why is it that some leaders, y'all think, feel it's easier to stay away from their hometown, you know what I mean? Like, why? Because not a lot of leaders, a lot of leaders do that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I know. I know. For me, like, I've I've talked to people individually, individually, like, you know, they've got a past here. You know, they've got uh, yeah. they've got a past, and sometimes, you know, that's good, and that can be good, and that can be bad. That's right. um, you know, and, and in a lot of people's mind too, if you know, you're 
a certain age making certain mistakes, you know, in some people's mind, people feel like they can't overcome that impression, oh you know, to, to be a leader. I, I, I will say that it's neat that the Lord has put me in the position that I'm in because I'm not not 100% where I grew up. But there are there is some some carryover in that. So we've yeah. got people. You're close enough, baby. Right. Well, I've got yeah. people that are in my church that I grew up with, and yeah. so like I grew up in student ministry with our student pastor yeah. that is now the student pastor at our church, and 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 some of that there is a dynamic to that that is interesting to navigate because some people. Uh, you know, I, I've, I, some people were like my Sunday school teachers, and now I am their pastor at the church yeah. that they, you know, that they attend. And so, I think just the attachment of that, the 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 baggage almost that comes along with that, it it can. I truly feel like it's in our own minds probably more than it is in reality, but but that definitely can cause a, a hang up for sure. I remember the first time that I preached a real sermon at Reels Chapel. You know, like I had prepared, <laughs> prayed, first time I'd ever stood and preached the word at the church I grew up in. And after it was over, you know how you have these built-up expectations, you know. <laughs> after it was over, it, everybody that came past me was like, well, that was sweet. You know what I mean? <laughs> like That's actually what I prayed about. Yeah. I prayed that the Lord would deliver a sweet message. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking like, man, I have ready to deliver the, you know, the word. And they were like, oh, you know, and I'm like, well, that wasn't so. That was a challenge. I, I wonder, did you ever, in all those years, people coming into the office, or maybe even as judge, did you come across folks that you had known for a long time that had known you for a long time? What What was that? What did that look like? Oh yes, I mean, you know, you. Someone once said that, uh, you know, your, your strangers, uh, your family, and friends are going to come to see you, and of course, you'll get people that you've never met before. But uh, the practice of law is is rather unique. It's very challenging. Uh, it's very personal issues with people and uh, serious issues with people. And, uh, you know, you, you, it's like being a pastor, I think, that you've got people's uh, basic personal real raw concerns that you're trying to help solve and help make better. And uh, it's a real challenge at times, but it's rewarding. You make a lot of friends, people that, like I said, you'd never met other than the practice of law. Today I have some really wonderful friends that grew out of those relationships. I think for pastoring, you know, we talk about a lot. We get to be there for the highs and the lows, you know, babies being born, marriages, but we also are there through spiritual difficulties and through deaths and hospitals and and all of that. But if no one ever comes to find an attorney and says, hey, I've got awesome news and I need you to help me with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know that I've ever heard the practice of law described that way. Yeah. You know, there, there's the stigma on TV, lawyers and all the jokes about lawyers and, and what, uh, you know, what, what people think about lawyers. I think if people knew up front how you just described you know, the desire to, to help people through their most pressing needs is a, I don't know that I've ever really considered that. Um, I, and that's what it is. Alexander Shinar should put that on his billboard is what you're saying. <laughs> call me yeah. Alabama. <laughs> that should be at the bottom. A lot more of Alabama would call him, I feel that's like. That's right. Yeah. You don't think about 
that profession really being relational. But I, I, I saw that connection immediately. When you said it, you know, how important is when you're working with people, them understanding how do you communicate relationship? How do you communicate your care to them as you also provide a service for them as well? Well, you know, it's interesting how it can evolve. You know, you meet somebody for the first time and they've got all of their anxiety and their concern and they think they've got the greatest case in the world. How could anybody do this to me on the other side, you know? And a lot of the work initially is to uh, try to get them in the right uh, view of uh, expectations. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really a fascinating profession. Uh, I didn't, I tell you, when I decided to go to law school, I thought that a law degree gave me a lot of options. You know, I could go into government. I could go with uh, corporations and you could do private practice. I thought it gave you a lot of options, but I've talked with some of my friends, obviously, practicing law. Once you get on that tiger, you're on that tiger. <laughs> you can't get off. Because <laughs> if you get off, he'll probably eat you. Uh, but uh, it's it's been a real special journey, and uh, it all happened because of people that I value their judgment their mentorship and all that i was very fortunate i've been blessed to live here been blessed to have the opportunities that i've had just can't say enough about it i don't tell people often enough you know we don't tell people like we should that we love them that we appreciate them i'm trying to do more of that now try to do more of that talk a little bit about the the opportunities that uh, your your education provided you, but more specifically, uh, FFA in, in uh, your high school days. Yeah. And then you became, correct me if I'm wrong, were you not the national, you were the national FFA president. I was actually national secretary, state president, but national secretary. State president. I gave you more credit than, you than was due there. I apologize. You did, you did. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that, how that led to uh, some of the leadership development. And, well, uh, you know, like all young guys at that time and, John Wayne and other friends, we, sports was everything. I mean, everything. You know, you had these ideas that you were pretty darn good and you were going to do this or whatever. Really, there's only one reason I didn't make it in the pros is I wasn't any good. <laughs> yeah. You know, they say. A lot of people have that problem. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they say, well, he may be small, but he's slow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I heard a guy I say one a, time that if he had any athletic ability at all, he'd be an All-American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just really, life was rolling right along. You know, your friends, you played baseball, basketball, football, whatever. And I had some health issues that, that raised their head and interrupted my stellar career. And I had a great ag teacher, FFA advisor, Don Ezell at the time, who came to me and wanted me to be the speaker, the chapter speaker. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do it, but I thought, eh, I don't know about that. Well, I got off the bus, and they told me to think about it, and I got off the bus the next morning, and our principal was out there 
standing there at the when the bus pulled up, and he said, "Jerry, I hear you're going to be our FFA speaker." <laughs> well, you weren't going to turn him down. He was he was such a great guy, Mr. Newman, and he just was such a mentor and encourager for all students. Everybody knew everybody by name. Well, they kind of reassured me, you know, Andy John, that there wouldn't be anybody there for the contest. <laughs> we were going to go over to West Limestone, and they wouldn't, no, it wouldn't be anybody, the judges and, you know, maybe some family members. Well, guess what? When they put us on the stage, uh, they opened school as an assembly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> All the students were pouring into that gymnasium, and I kid you not, to this day, I remember it as well as anything, I could not lean back in that chair because I felt like my heart was beating so <laughs> hard that I, I, I it would rock me back and forth. So I kind of leaned forward. Well, that, that started a lot of great opportunities for me. I mean, you know, I... It's interesting, you know, God, I, all I have is mercy and grace. I have, as, as Paul the Apostle said, everything's rubbish. Mm. I don't even have rubbish. I don't even rise to the level of rubbish. I bring nothing good to the table. Just a sinner, thankfully saved by grace. And, but I, I look back on that, and I don't doubt for a minute God used that. Yeah. You know, he opened that door for me. And I can't even begin to tell you what that's meant to me all my life. You know, you were in beta club and other 4-H and stuff like that. Programs that had leaders in there who cared about kids, who wanted to encourage you. And uh, there's hardly a day goes by that, that I didn't benefit and from what happened to me back in those years. So... I'm very thankful, undeserved, undeserved blessings. I'm very grateful. I, I, I do often think about that, too, in our churches with, with growth and how we, how we give young leaders, students, opportunities where either they volunteer or, as he said, are voluntold yeah. to, to where they, they get up in front of people, you know, or they – have to prepare to get up in front of people and what that looks like. I, I know for, for us, too, we grew up in a very small church. Um, there really wasn't any who wants to do this. Everybody has something to do because you're going to be a part of it. And it gave us that opportunity to, um, you know, to succeed. It also gave us the opportunity to fail and to learn from that as well. And uh, develop, developing leaders um, within our churches and even our community, our schools and churches, if we still have the opportunity for leaders to develop to, to where they arrive uh, later on. So so one of the questions that I have, you know, and of course dealing in a, in a church plant, uh, you know, where we start from the ground up and, you know, in the development of leaders, we're in that stage now where, we do have to apply a certain amount of push to get leaders, to get people, potential leaders, out of that comfort zone. I would venture as far as to say that all four of us around this table, um, just like just like you've shared with us, has had those moments where we were thrust into a a opportunity, but we had to sink or swim. 
you know, and, and, and because of what we watched God do in those moments, maybe not even in our own power, but what we watched God do in our own, in those moments provided that fuel for us to even begin to entertain the idea of that. And so, you know, my question is, like, how do we as leaders in general, in, in secular workplaces, in, in church uh, life, like how do we, where do we strike the balance, balance between pushing people and encouraging people to take those types of steps because it's just uncomfortable. And I don't think any of us would have probably done it if we felt like we had an option mm-hmm. to do it. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. And so what is that, what does that balance look like? Yeah, you, man. I know sometimes when we have deacons that are coming on board as deacons, they they are to give their testimony before the church. And for for some of them, they talk every day. For others, it it, it they can't even pray for the next seven days, <laughs> or all their prayers are directed towards I'm about to stand. And yeah. and uh, I I do think um, you know requiring it sometimes, depending on what what it's for, uh, is is important. And to encourage and let people know for you, I know, but again, that at a younger age, you know, when you I don't know when you get to be an adult and you know God's working on people. That the thing I often think about is what what avenue can we give to preacher boys or, or people that need to share their testimony to where they're not standing in front of eight thousand people, but they're standing in front of eight or eighty, uh, and to know those folks are for them, but also to give feedback on. On, hey, here, here's what to think about the next time you do it. I remember my, my granddaddy, uh, I would get up and read Scripture at church, and afterwards he would be like, you look up when you're talking to people and stop looking down at the Bible when you read. I was like, well, I'm reading. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't preaching. I was reading. He's like, it don't matter. Look up every once in a while, you know? And that didn't mean he thought what I did was terrible, yeah. but he was. I knew he loved me. He was giving me yeah, feedback, yeah. and that's you got to be able to take it too, I guess. My dad, I'll never forget, I was preaching at uh, – um, oh, church up here in Blanche, Tennessee. And I asked my dad how I did, and I saw his notes. He had tally marks on the top of it. What is that about? And he had tallied every time I said the word, um. <laughs> and it was, and I just, my mom just hated him for it. Like, he's so mad at him for, for doing yeah. that. But, Didn't hear a word of the gospel, yeah. just, just <laughs> yeah. tallying mark on but, but But the point is still, you know, is still valid you know, that, that we've got to, and I think it's important that they know that we are invested in them and they know that we see it in them because it's, it's just really easy, you know, that I find it's really easy to focus on our own strengths and our own abilities. But the reality is, especially as if, if we as children of God, right, in any capacity of leadership, we should be operating outside of our strengths, because then we can depend on God in our weakness. And um, I, I've just asked that question a whole lot recently and about how that what, that, what that looks like practically for us to invest in them and give them those opportunities, but then to give them the gumption to, all right, now, now do that. And I think it's the hardest thing is to recognize them because, like, what you're, what you're, you're not seeing something that's fully developed. You know, you're not. They didn't see you at that age and go. I tell you what, this guy. He's arrived. He's incredible. You know, they just there was something that he saw that they saw in you. Right. And just like for these leaders, like I before I put them up in front of my church, I probably didn't hear them speak somewhere or what. Like there's something, and that's where I've always 
Like, what is that thing? You know, like, what are those character traits that we're looking for? And how do we, how do we identify them when they're just so minuscule? Because like you said, until they're put into the situation and then God spirit <laughs> takes it from there and multiplies whatever it is that you see, whatever it is. And, uh, and God gets the glory. That's what I've found, I guess, for me is one of the hardest things is identifying them on the front end. Some, yeah. Sometimes too, and you mentioned Mr. Newman, I've always heard Mr. Newman from Clements high school, my entire life. And the kind of leader he was like, Oh, one of those names I'll always, I never met him. Right. But I always remember that they talked about how he treated people, yeah. remember their names. And even, even like you talked about him, him encouraging you, Sometimes I don't even know that it's necessarily drawing out a certain characteristic, but just knowing that it's there. There's a leadership quality there. And when an adult who cares about a, a student or child says something intentional to that student or child out of love and hope for the future, I do believe God uses that towards towards a, a day in the future where they look back and think that was another step yeah. towards God equipping me towards something great. We were just so blessed at that time in our lives. You know, we had such great teachers and mentors and, you know, what a great faculty we had. Dr. Millie Caudill at the time was teaching out there. Lib Brett was teaching out there. Um, Ms. George Roberts was teaching there. So many others. Linda Beasley, um, of course, others, you know, that were just, they cared about you. And uh, Grethel Harlow was just a dear. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I had lunch a couple of months ago with Coach Bill Graham, and what a great guy. I mean, what a what an influence in my life. And, uh, of course, Jack Cannon was, was our basketball coach at one time, and then, you know, we had others, but... Uh, it's just you look back on it and you think about today's time when we're having to have security and police officers in school and the carnage and the tragedies that are going on around us every day to have lived at that time. And uh, God just blessed us, man. Yeah, never thought just about blessed it. blessed us. Who, who would have been your, your um, dad, the farmer, um, and I know your your mother stayed home and and worked there. Yeah, but how did you get to law to law? You know, so was there anyone around? I know you said you you thought yeah. that would be the one that you think would give you the most opportunities. What was there anything that inspired you towards your your career, your vocation? I don't know that there was any one thing. I I really just think that I was believing that that was something that. Um, would be uh, interesting to me and also, like I said, would give me a lot of flexibility, you know, a lot of different options that I could use. And as it turns out, I chose what was behind door number one (laughs) 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 and practiced all those years. And uh, I don't know. I think I felt like it sort of fit my interest at at the time, you know, to be able to, to uh, take facts and the law and apply it, and it's very challenging. I mean, man, you you had some great lawyers that you went up on the other side with, and uh, it was just uh, it, you just it was challenging. I would imagine in that 
in that profession too, you have a lot of opportunity to make decisions that that affect people on the other side that would disagree with you or be disappointed in you. Um, how does that? How did you deal with that over the years? Well, I, you know, it was just really natural for me. I, I didn't see people as enemies. I knew that the people on the other side had their case and, and they believed in it and they felt, you know, very strongly about it. And always after trial was over, you know, I'd make it a point to go over to the opposing side and talk with the lawyer and talk with his client if, if it were okay. And I tried to be fair. I tried, even in, when I was trying cases, I wasn't out to try to burn any bridges. I wasn't out to try to humiliate anybody. I just wanted to present the side for my client. And uh, luckily, fortunately, uh, just very few, very few times I felt like maybe that somebody, it'd be natural. I mean, it'd be natural. Sure. You're on the witness stand. This doggone lawyer's questioning you, and you don't want to answer. <laughs> I think, uh, actually, Andy John, my biggest challenge was I was coaching along uh, when Lauren was playing softball, and we got selected. Denny Thornton and I were the very fortunate coaches who got to coach the All-Star game. And um, there was this one lady who really felt like we needed to be practicing twice a day. And 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 it was really, I look back on it, it was funny. But anyway, Denny and I didn't see it that way. <laughs> Y'all we just, we just didn't think that no we two were. No two-a-days. No, we didn't think we were the New York Yankees. <laughs> but, so we go over to Killen for our first game. Let me tell you, we were rocked. I mean, that team wore us out. We're coming off the field. Denny and I laugh about this to this day. We're coming off the field, and this little girl that was on our team, I wanted to compliment her. You know, I wanted to say something good. And I said, I want to tell you, I said, you did a good job today. And her mother grabs that little girl and says, don't talk to him. And, yeah, and exited the field. And and I thought, my goodness, grace of life. So in all those years of practicing yeah. <laughs> practicing law yeah. and being a judge, it is the softball field of youth sports <laughs> that provided I tell you, it you know, I, I didn't have somebody do that to me practicing law or yeah. on the bench, uh, don't talk to him. Gosh, that'll <laughs> preach right there, yeah. seriously, to a lot of folks. Well, you know, I think you probably more than anyone else uh are an expert in how how to navigate a disagreement like you know because there are times where we and i know we attribute this a lot of times to our context the people in the world that just because we disagree with you doesn't make us your enemy or we, i don't hate you because i disagree we we hear that rallying cry in conservative cir- conservative circles a lot and just because i don't agree with what you're doing doesn't make me hate you or are those sorts of things. But I also believe at a personal level, sometimes we believe that. Like if somebody is in disagreement with us, they are our enemy. Like they are the one that we have to prove wrong. And and so 
you know, I'm interested to know how, how do you, you know, how, what are, how do you maintain those friendships? Because let me tell you, just like in the, in the courtroom, you talk about these personal things. I mean, we're dealing with very personal stuff in ministry and well, and probably any leader that cares about his people, right. those things are going to come up. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you, how can you have a disagreement, be diametric, diametrically opposed to the other person, but still maintain that friendship throughout it? Well, I think that uh, people could see through a lot. They can tell whether you're sincere, whether you are somebody who just wants to beat them up and embarrass them. You know, it's what they say about coaches. Kids know, they know the coach. They see that coach for what he is, where people on the outside don't necessarily do, but you don't fool those kids on that team. They know what they're getting, and they know what they see. But um, in the law, there's been a big move over several decades to mediation. Uh, You have mediators who try to bring the case to a settlement without the trial. And it's worked really well. It's good. You know, everybody basically gives up some things as you do in negotiations. And generally, I think people are happy to have the case mediated and settled. And uh, because uh, I tell you, a courtroom is, is, a, is a battleground. It's a tough area. It's, uh, it really is. And there's a Supreme Court decision on an appeal case where they said uh, a, court, a courtroom uh, is not a parlor affair. <laughs> In other words, it's knock down, drag out. But, uh, of course, you you know, lawyers have to be very careful not to cross the line, whichever side you're on, because you got 12 jurors there, and they're bringing in their life's experiences, and uh, they're very observant. And if they see that somebody is trying to take advantage and beat somebody up unfairly, you may pay for that. Right. And I think uh, when you talk about that, that's what hit me was, man, how – how do you, how do you come in passionate about what you're wanting to do, but yet keep that emotion in check? Because we've got leaders that listen to this that they're very passionate about what they do, and uh, when they're trying to do their job, they can come across the wrong way. And uh, and I think it's it's just a good reminder of what you just said. Just to to it's not a, it's not even just the one that you're speaking to or you're dealing with directly, but those that are watching around. Um, that are noticing your character and those that are that are seeing who you are and uh, how you're acting and reacting. And I think um, it's going to affect your leadership and how you're viewed. I think as a as a judge, when you had to uh, when you're not vying for one side, but you're determining what the end result will be. Talk talk a little bit about that about discernment about making big decisions when you have to give a ruling. Um, what does that look like in in your chambers when when you're quiet, just you, the the law, and the Lord? And what what goes through that process? What goes through your mind? Well, you know, one side is going to be disappointed. One side is going to like you more than the other side, <laughs> and think that you are, are doing really good. The other side is wondering, how did you get here? <laughs> you don't know any better than that. And, uh, you know, you just try to take uh, what the facts, what the evidence 
as was presented and then the law. And um, one of my most uh, gratifying things I told you earlier today as as a being on the bench was we started the drug court and um, it was the efforts of local officials and people who knew there had to be a better way you know we incarcerate so many people there's no rehabilitation in the prison system it's designed for punishment but it also doesn't do a whole lot when you're releasing somebody after many years and I think they still maybe get $40 and a set of clothes. And generally, they don't have an education. They don't have any prospects of job. It's hard to get a job as a convicted felon anyway. But anyway, Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice Sue Bell Cobb was relentless in trying to get drug courts in all 67 counties. And the way they worked... People would be arrested on possession. And they were generally addicts. I'd say 99.9% were addicts. Had severe problems with all kinds of drugs. So they would negotiate a deal with a district attorney to have so many years, you know, as a sentence. What we would do is we would accept the plea deal but we wouldn't impose the sentence. We would commit them to the drug court program. And Tony Gravett and his staff did a great job of shepherding that, and we'd put these people in treatment. And uh, it was amazing. They wanted it. They needed it. They were rock bottom. They, their life was in danger. But a lot of them resisted that. They, I, they'd, I'll tell you a story about when I was up at Ardmore. I had a guy... It's kind of like Otis of Mayberry. <laughs> this guy was a raging alcoholic. And he would basically come in after he was drunk as a skunk, go to the city hall, the jail, and turn himself in. Well, it was just ongoing. You know, he was going to obviously have a bad ending. So this was the beginning of uh, treating drug addicts and crim- uh, people in the criminal justice system in a better way, you know, we, we can do something. We can give these people something that will improve their lives, maybe change their lives. Well, I had talked with some counselors and that type of stuff, and I had a guy over in Decatur who said, well, I'll, I'll handle the counseling if, if, if you wish to do that. <clears throat> Pardon me. So I had this guy, he came back to court, and I told him that, well, I said, I'm not going to put you in jail this time. I said, I'm going to send you to counseling. Well, you would have thought I told him, <laughs> we're going out back, and I'm going to shoot you 12 times. <laughs> he reacted so incredibly unexpectedly. Oh, no, you're not, Judge. Wow. You're not going to send me to counseling. I'm not going. He said, you're going to send Now, listen to this. You're going to send me to jail. I'm going to jail. I said, not today. I said, now, if you don't cooperate, it's going to be a long time you'll get to stay in jail. Do you know that we herded cats, got him into that counseling program, and he never repeated. He never came back. Wow. Mm -hmm. And see, that was the thing about our drug court. 
they would resist it, you know, but some deep down inside, I knew they knew they needed it and had to have it. And we would send them to different places and counseling, that kind of thing. And sometimes we had to go forward with the sentence. But, man, we would bend over backwards to try to keep them in counseling and, and change their life. And mm. we'd get them a job. Local businesses would hire them, fast food type things, and other corporations around would hire. Man, there's some people to this day that I just respect so much, these these defendants in drug court, because they did it. You know, we were just trying to figure out how do we help these people, how do we encourage them. But let me tell you something. It was on them. It was on them. They accepted the difficulty, the challenge, and fought their way through it, and, and we did have some successes. And the drug court's still going. They're all over the country. They started in Miami, Florida, originally. But what's any better than that? You know, people talk about, oh, we need to, we need to lock them up and throw away the key. What have you got when they come out? Because they're going to come out. Yeah. And uh, if they don't have something to support them and, and, and give them a chance, you know, we've not done our job. You know, I think you said there is such a good point because, like, we – okay, so I, I, we deal with, like, benevolence. People come in needing help. It is the – sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world to throw – Money at it to write a whatever and 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 send them on their way, knowing that this is not helping them, but it's not my problem anymore. Yeah. Pass you know, the buck. Pa- yeah. passing the buck, and what you said is right. It's on them, but it's also on the leader too to be willing to do not what maybe in your flesh you might want to do, which is let's this be someone else's problem. I think that's probably why we're in the shape we're in in the country is so few people want to or, or you know, so few people are willing to do what is what people really need and you know I've almost found without exception the people that I feel like I have really helped have been the ones that have taken hours and days and sometimes weeks have gone by with us trying to provide assistance because it's what they need it's not what they want and man, to me, that is that is such an excellent uh, axiom of leadership is helping people to find what they need. And you know, from the church world, I mean, that's that's obvious, right? They need Jesus. They need a relationship with Him and oneness with the Father. And He's going to meet those needs. But a lot of times, we have to be willing to do and sacrifice as the leader to take responsibility. As the leader, God has placed this person in my life to to do that. And I mean, I just that's just what I hear when I hear you share those stories. Leadership is not easy, and it's not doing the easiest thing. Even to solve the same problem, it's oftentimes not solving it in the easiest way. Sometimes we have to think about those around us. We have to think about those that we're engaging with, the people that work under us. Our if you're a factory or whatever, think about your customers and your suppliers and everything that goes into that. And oftentimes, the right thing is not the easy thing. Um, as Alan said, passing that buck, um, or I said that, I can't remember now who said it, but, um, but that's just, man, that, that's, that's bad leadership when we do that. And, uh, man, we just, we appreciate you, Mr. Jerry and, uh, all those that worked to see that established here. And, uh, man, just the no doubt lives that have been changed through that. It's been really cool. So you, you, um, 
you graduate, you have a career, and you, you reach retirement, and and then you uh, you receive the news you have cancer. And um, if you would, and you don't mind, share just a little uh, about this chapter and uh, maybe how it's changed your perspective, what you're learning from it, from it, and um, sort of what you're going through. Well, I'm very blessed. Uh, it was a blessing from God that I got this cancer. It's incurable. Uh, they tr- they give me different lines of treatment when it relapses uh, to kind of knock it back. And uh, a lot of smart people out there with it. And uh, I tell my doctors, I said, man, I'm glad you guys stayed in at recess and studied while I climbed trees. <laughs> <laughs> you, you all are really smart That's right. in dealing with this. Um, you know, God is in charge. That's what my wife's always telling me, and it's so true. My plan, hey, when it's my plan and when I'm thinking I've, I'm in charge, I wind up in the ditch. Right. I mean, and and overturned in the ditch. But he knows what's best. He loves us. He takes care of us. So I've been very, very blessed. I have beaten my survival time they gave me originally. I'm, I'm a few months past that. And I don't know what the next months or year might be. But gosh, I am so blessed. It's hard for me to talk about it yeah. from the standpoint it's emotional because I see these people when we go to the labs and, and just tragic and, and, and all they've got is hope and not much of that. I'm able to walk in here. I'm able to go out and do things. I have a, a lot of things I still do and all, and I feel good until they, you know, give me the the (laughs) Kool-Aid for a day or so. But my gosh, am I fortunate? Am I blessed? I mean, you just, you don't have to look very far to see people who are in much more dire circumstances than that. And it has helped me and given me uh, a time to uh, focus on what's really important. You know, you're running and gunning all your life. You know, you're trying to work and you're trying to do all these things. But when you have something like this, well, you get a little more time perspective. And and all I know is I just want to... do the best I can, be positive, uh, love God, as they say, do justice, show mercy, and walk humbly. And uh, I know he's in charge. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm at peace with that. And I thank him for for saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you experience something here and draw you closer. My dear friend, Jerry Trent, you know, Jerry passed away. He's been gone a couple of years, I guess. Jerry had a lot of battles with health. He told me something after I was diagnosed. He said, Jerry, he said, we are so blessed um, that God lets us experience these things. (laughs) He said, you just think about the people that don't ever have this experience. He said, we're, we're, we're lucky. I said, well, you know, I never had thought about it like that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're right. 
But uh, I've met so many people, Andy John, that, you know, medical professionals, fellow patients, and and friends and family have been so encouraging and supportive. Hey, listen, it's all good, man. It's all good. I am very thankful for each day, and I'm not... I'm not going to second-guess God about what his plan is for my life. <laughs> I have to pray every day for him to save me from myself. Yeah, amen. You know? yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, brother. You completely took me off guard by the answer to that question, and I'm just blessed. Um, you know, blessed to have the opportunity to learn how to rely and lean on Jesus a little more. And, man, what a what a great thing to think about as as a leader like and I am am I thankful for the hard decisions that I have to make am I thankful for the difficult duties that I have to do the things I don't want to do am I thankful for them because they drive me to Jesus yeah man just I just I, I appreciate that word I really do but blessing is God's purposeful provision and position we always associate that with the things that we want or would prefer, and but that's according to what God knows we need as well. And uh, and a lot of times those hills that we climb are what makes us stronger, spiritually stronger, gains more perspective in our life. And um, I'm our family is so thankful for you, and I, I've watched. Um, Jerry and, and others in our church now, um, you know, when their life is bumped, faith spills over the side. Mm, and right. uh, I'll never forget that ever. And um, I'm thankful for you and thankful for your, your word of testimony because I know it helps not only these three guys around this table with you, but a lot of others. So uh, right. appreciate that. Well, we, uh, we always like to end our podcast. Yeah, uh, we're going straight from heavy to light. <laughs> yeah. Real light. <laughs> We, uh, we like to end uh, with Andy John doing some rapid-fire questions, and, and these, I think, all are kind of local stuff today. This is, local, so this is a local leadership podcast, so now you have to answer honestly because this is okay. one or the other. You're, you're a lifelong resident here, so we're going rapid-fire uh, either or. You're basically just making a choice here. Uh, dubs or Rose Grill? Dubs. Of course, Dubs. Wow, <laughs> Alan Rose, Al- man, Rose is good. Rose is good. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good, but I mean, it's, it's an institution at Dubs, though. <laughs> My man, that's exactly right. All right, this one's a little more controversial. Uh, Lawlers or wits? Yeah, that is. Uh, <laughs> Art politician. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> he's got, na- he's got names attached yeah. to those. Yeah, that's right. I, I would say. Uh, we probably eat at Wits more, okay. um, but I like Lawler's too. <laughs> those, loaded, those loaded potatoes. It, it's right. to answer it, you know, I'll, I'll say Wits. Okay, it is that loaded. There is something about a Lawler's loaded stuffed yeah. baked potato. Yeah. That, that, I've had them other places. It's not as good. Yeah, they're magic. We had uh, I got a barbecue sandwich yesterday from Wits, and mm-hmm. this is this is a little. Um, one of the things that's underrated about Wits is their tea they're they're what they give it in and it's great it's really good i might go there after this all right um cream delight or limestone drug oh cream delight all right 
Uh, fillers convention or Christmas parade? Wow. <laughs> Some yeah, heavy those, hitters those, today. Yeah, those are two really special events for our community. I'm going to say uh, ever since Shane was winning all the floats, right. um, that's pretty special, Christmas parade. and Christmas parade. Uh, it, the beans, the beans that one year at the fillers convention didn't. didn't no, that was, that's Bean Day. That's different. Yeah, bean oh. Day, yeah. yeah. We don't talk about Bean Day. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of folks don't talk about that. They really don't. They really don't. Yeah. Uh, Joe Wheeler or Southern Gales? Probably Southern Gales. So that would mean golf over fishing, or just golf at Southern Gales? Uh, you talking about golf or? Fishing. Uh, I guess, well, golf, I guess. Fishing yeah. at Southern Gales. <laughs> doing a lot yeah, of you can, I guess, but more golf. There's a pond there. Well, I just need to find something that's very similar to putt-putt. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, hard well, to lose a ball. I will say it's hard to lose a ball at Southern Gales. It's real easy to lose a ball at Joe Wheeler. Yeah, Coming from a avid, terrible golf. It's a beautiful player. course, though. Oh, yeah. you know, I can lose really them at both. Um, courthouse or Founders Hall? Well, I'd have to say the courthouse, but boy, Founders Hall is special. Yeah, it's I got, very. I special. got married at Founders Hall. Did you? Did you? I didn't know Man, that. Man, it's, 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 it's a very, very beautiful place. Yeah. June twentieth, two thousand nine, and it was ninety five <laughs> degrees that day, and I was, we were roasted. I'm gonna awesome. have to say on that if I revisit, I must say they're just equal to me. The uh, Founders and, and the courthouse. It's yeah. neat. Those are good places. Yeah. That's all I got. He, he, you do great. Pass the test, flying colors. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it, fellas. It's it's been a real uh, blessing for me to be here with you and to yeah. visit with you, and I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming in. Yeah, sure we appreciate do. the stories, appreciate the the wisdom, and uh, appreciate you guys listening in. And we hope that uh, you just take some time, take some notes, um, and think through how uh, Mr. Jerry's. Uh, discussion today uh, might impact your leadership wherever you are and so until next time keep leading